The psalmist said, I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The psalmist said, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. All of God's promises, these included, are yes, because Christ is risen. Hallelujah. A sure solution, a firm foundation. Do you remember when medicine used to taste bad? Has anything changed? No. But it, it used to taste a lot worse, I think. We don't like the taste of medicine. Um, my aunt and uncle, in, in an attempt, they didn't want to force their daughter, my cousin, to, to take the medicine she needed and the round of medication. Uh, I don't know if it was to knock out an, uh, a virus, not a virus, but an infection or whatever it was. Um, so they slipped it into her orange juice. To this day, I don't think she drinks orange juice, even though she loved it as a kid because we don't like the taste of medicine. Sometimes we just simply try to avoid it. We know what it means. It sends a message and aura. I had a, a, a friend who was 30. When he was 30, he went to the doctor, seemingly healthy-looking guy, but uh, he went to the doctor and his numbers came back and the doctor said, you're really on the border for type 2 diabetes and we should probably start insulin. He went home and he changed his diet completely. He started a seven-day-a-week intense workout regimen just to try to avoid having to take this medicine. Sometimes we're uncertain or we're unsure if it will really do the trick or what the side effects will be. What, what are we committing to? I have a friend who sits there with a, a filled prescription, unopened, of antidepressant pills on his counter because he's just not sure. Clearly he's depressed, clearly the doctor has diagnosed him enough that he would give him this medication, but he's still not sure if he should take it. Sometimes we just don't like the taste. Sometimes we try to avoid it. Sometimes we are unsure if it will really do the trick. That's with medicine. Do we sometimes do that with God's word and Jesus? By confession, absolutely not. We would never do that. I mean, we're all here. This is our confession. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Amen to that. But when we have our practice, when life plays out, and if we go back into our minds and, and kind of play out some of the scenarios we've been faced with, sometimes this is our practice. We want Christ in the picture somewhere, God's word somewhere in the vicinity, maybe on the back burner. But then when the world offers solutions, we sometimes jump at those. Like we like to keep our options open and if something will work for the short term, we'll try that. If it will, if it will fill the need or the desire or stave off something we dislike, Maybe you'll do the trick, and we choose that. But all of this world's solutions lead to one place, away from Christ. All of this world's solutions, the, the devil's offers of temptation to, to, to really make us feel good. I mean, and, and some of these pursuits are not even bad. Who likes to feel pain? No one, thank you, no one raised their hand. Who likes to feel good? I do, yes, everyone does. But sometimes the devil will put in our path offers of temptation to sin because then that will make us feel good or that will, that will do the trick for us or that seems right at the time. And, and we go after these things and they just lead us further and further away from Christ and his love for us. 
Paul saw a lot of things that were going on in the congregation in Corinth. Paul saw that they were Christians, just like we are. But he also noticed that they were just a big sinful mess. When you think of the Corinthian congregation, we're going to jump into chapter 15 in a moment here. But the Corinthian congregation was saying the right things, trusted in Jesus, but yet when it came to their congregation, their worship service was a circus. People were shouting over one another and trying to, trying to go over the top. It was, it was ridiculous. Uh, when it came to their leadership or how the congregation felt about their leaders, people started picking sides and pitting one leader against another, even though the leaders weren't divided. And divisions were, were starting in the congregation because this one liked this person, this one liked another person. When it came to um, relationships in the congregation, they were strained at best, broken at worst, marriages were in trouble. And when it came to sexual immorality, they didn't just turn a blind eye, which would have been bad enough, but they looked at what God's word said, and then they looked at what was around them and what the world offered, and they said, no, this is our freedom to choose what the world offers. This is our wisdom ignoring that it was sinful and opposed to God and his will. When it came to, when it came to uh, the Lord's Supper, they were abusing even that. And when it came to the things that you and I would have looked at, we said, they're doing that right. They've got that going on in their congregation. Yet they were approaching it with a loveless attitude. That whole chapter that's read at weddings sometimes about love, that comes from 1 Corinthians. There's so much evil and sin out there. There's so much evil and sin in here. There's so much evil and sin right here. That's what Paul saw in the Corinthian congregation, and that's what we see in our congregation and in our own hearts. And Paul patiently addresses each one of these issues throughout his letter to the Corinthians. In love, he takes time, he works with, with each situation, walks them through it, but the solution is the same. And there is only one firm foundation that can be found, and Paul addresses it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Christ is risen. He is risen Hallelujah. It'll be on the screen before you, also in your worship folder. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Troubled by our sins, 
skeptical of solutions that are presented to us, even God's sometimes, we struggle. We, we, we in panic sometimes, are looking for other options, and sometimes life is going great, and yet we worry that the other shoe is going to drop. Paul doesn't point to the Corinthians or us to something that we can take, to take the edge off the pain or the hurt or the trouble. He doesn't point us to something we can do or point us to something we should feel. He points us to one undeniable fact that never changes. Christ is risen. Alleluia. He writes this, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The devil, the world, and our sinful flesh do not want you to know something, that they have no power over you. They cannot hold you. They cannot accuse you. They have no right to, to, to bully you or to put a temptation before you, uh, your eyes that would make you think, you know what, I can't overcome this, or there's no hope. No, they lost. And Jesus proved that. He proved that when he died for our sins, according to the scriptures. When you think of it, Good Friday was not just a day to feel really, really badly for Jesus because he suffered really, really badly. That was a day when God took up the barrel of his justice and his wrath and was about to fire away. And who was it aimed at? It was aimed at you and me and who of us could oppose that? Our sins, our offenses against God and his word and his will that we've just cast aside to do what we wanted. And that barrel and that, of that, was, his justice was aimed right at us and we were in the crosshairs and on Good Friday he fired every single round in the chamber and left nothing out. The punishment, the hell, the suffering that you and I deserved, he let loose except we weren't in his crosshairs. But it was our prison garb. It was our identification number. It was our record. But Jesus was wearing it. And he suffered everything that needed to be suffered. He paid every last debt. And he let God loose everything at him. And when Jesus said, it is finished, that means that you and I are forgiven. Nothing left to suffer, nothing left to be afraid of because Jesus has suffered it for us and we are forgiven because Christ is risen. He is risen Hallelujah. The next thing we hear that Paul stresses is very important that he was buried. This was unsettling. Following Jesus for three years, putting all your hopes and trust in him listening to the unbelievable promises he made, seeing that he could possibly be the fulfillment of every single prophecy about him. All of this wrapped up into it, and the, and the promises of life, the promises of forgiveness, the promises that we never need to be afraid of again, and that we have a home in heaven, all of those resting on his shoulders, and then to see him betrayed, see him denied, to see yourself as one of his disciples running in fear and hiding as he is taken out and he is thrown on a cross. He is pinned to it and not just immediately dies, but suffers in front of everyone so that all can hear his voice, all can hear what he says, 
All can see his blood drain out of him and then to see that corpse on the cross, dead and gone. All of your hopes, all of the promises died with him. He couldn't even take himself off the cross. Just this corpse. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had to go to Pilate and ask permission to take him down. And then whatever mess they had in their hands when they took him off the cross did the best they could to prepare him and wrap him in linen and spices and lay him in the tomb before the Sabbath rest would start. And they were to be at their homes, not doing any labor or any work. And so they put him there as best they can and as honorably as they can as we would like to treat our own dead. And they roll the stone in front and Roman guards come to watch it and they return home. And then a whole day passes. And on that Sabbath rest, how restful do you think it really was? Do you think the disciples ventured out of that locked room and went to the temple courts to hear the word being preached? Do you think they went to the local synagogue and, and, and tried to pay attention and listen? I'm guessing that they probably skipped church that day. And the women were the only ones to go out after the Sabbath rest was lifted that night and gather whatever supplies they could to mourn as best they could the next morning. And then, early the next morning, they got up and they rushed to the tomb with their supplies in hand, only on the way realizing how ridiculous they must have looked. That stone... They didn't bring tools to wedge it from its resting place and get it rolling. They didn't have the sheer strength to push it. And did they have the papers to convince the guards that it was okay that they would go in? No. But here they come to the tomb where he was buried. And what do they see? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. They were seeing with their own eyes what God had promised to two people who were cowering in fear in a garden because they couldn't believe that God would ever forgive them. What God had promised through the prophets and added piece by piece the rest of the story, how it was all going to play out, and they saw it all unfold before them as the tomb was empty before them. Everything lined up, even the words that Jesus had spoken, that he would have to suffer, that he would have to die, and on the third day be raised again, and he did. And then he appeared to them, and they still couldn't believe it. Mary thought he was a gardener. Lord, or person, master, tell me where his body, where you've taken his body, and I will go and get it. The Emmaus disciples walked for him what, about seven miles, listening to him and having him painstakingly, not for him, no, not painstakingly anymore, but go through and just show them scripture by scripture how he had to do all of this and how he had to rise from the grave. They, he appeared before them, and once again, they thought he was a ghost. <laughs> they would rather believe that a ghost was talking to them than that the risen Lord was in their midst. He takes a piece of fish, sits down with them, and eats it to prove that it is him, that Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Once again, over and over, he has to convince them of this. Paul tells us, appeared to Cephas, appeared to, to Peter, we're told, appeared to the Emmaus disciples, appeared to over 500 of the brothers and sisters at once, many of whom are still living, Paul writes many of whom are still living, that you could go in that day and go and check and hunt them down and say, did he really rise? Did he really rise? Because I'm kind of putting a lot into this. And they could tell you without a doubt, Christ is risen. He is risen 
but you and I probably would have doubted too because the stakes were so high. Anything you put your trust in in this life, higher stakes than that. Your sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus. Is that true? Christ is risen. You do not have to fear your own death because Jesus has already taken care of that and he has destroyed the power of death. Is that true? Christ is risen. Alleluia. There is no hurt that he can't heal in this life or the next. Is that really true? Christ is risen. Your love, hallelujah, your loved ones who have died in the Lord and you saw them go into the tomb. They are alive and well in heaven at their Savior's side and you will see them raised again when the Lord raises you too. Is that true? Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But yet we still doubt sometimes. We still wonder, could this really be for me? And the Apostle Paul speaks out about above all of us, and he says, if anyone had reason to doubt, it was me. If anyone had reason to think that this wasn't for somebody, look at me. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. The Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul, his main goal in life was to kill Christians, to hunt them down, to make them pay for leading anyone towards this imposter named Jesus. He stood in approval, maybe with a smile on his face as Stephen was stoned to death before him. He went with papers from the high priest in the Sanhedrin, I think, to, to go to Damascus and to hunt down more Christians to bring them back to hopefully help them meet the same fate. And on that road to Damascus, God lifted his barrel and he had Paul in his crosshairs. What did he fire out of that barrel? He left nothing in the chamber. His wrath, there were, there were many people, probably quite a few Christians even, even though they shouldn't, they were maybe hoping that the ground would swallow up Saul and send him straight to hell. But God fired, and what did he hit Paul with? His grace, his forgiveness. A picture of our own conversion, people raging against God, wanting nothing to do with him, and yet Jesus pours out his love and forgiveness and turns our hearts to see who he is and to see what he has done and then to see who we are now, forgiven children of God. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And then he sent Paul out to share this message with the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth, and you and I to do the same because this message of Jesus and his forgiveness is for all people, for you and me included, and have no doubt. Paul writes, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Where do we go from here? this Easter morning, this Easter wonder that Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Where do we go? We go with this joy in our heart to go right back out there, to go right back into the same hurts, the same struggles, the same mountaintops and the same valleys, and to go at it with a joy in our heart that no one can take from us, a joy this world cannot match with all of its sinful solutions and offers. We go with confidence. We go with confidence and with the grace that goes with us to work harder than anyone, to love, to share, 
to do whatever task God has laid before us, to carry whatever cross he's asked us to deny ourselves about and carry. He changes us to do all this. How can we be sure? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. A sure solution, a firm foundation. Amen.